You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to Maximize Your Hunt, the podcast dedicated to those who want the most out of their hunting property. This podcast explores land management, habitat improvement, and hunting strategies that will help you maximize your time in the field. Follow along as industry professionals that live and breathe white-tailed deer share their secrets to success. And now, the founder of Whitetail Landscapes, your host, John Teeter. Hi, I'm John Teeter of Whitetail Landscapes. This is Maximize Your Hunt. I'm happy to have Perry Batten on today. Perry actually works as a farm manager for Drury Outdoors. He grew up in southern Illinois. He's hunted deer and turkey his whole life. He's got a bachelor's degree in fish and wildlife management from the University of Illinois. And we're going to talk about food plot architecture today. Barry is a do-it-all kind of guy. He works on the farm. He basically does everything. And food plots is one of the things that he focuses on big time. And I think he's got a lot to offer. The architecture and how you lay out a food plot can be quite complicated. And, of course, a lot of people aren't sure where to start. So we're going to kind of walk you down the path of kind of thinking about food plots and designs, et cetera. Barry, welcome aboard, man. How you been? Good, man. How's it going? I'm good. I'm good. I was in the field today cutting timber, and I'm back in the office doing office work. And what have you been up to? Oh, um, lately, this past weekend, was at, was back in Illinois in the home state. Took some kids youth hunting. Youth turkey season was in, and I actually stopped by and, and looked at two farms for a friend of mine uh, and, and did some layouts for them. So... So you don't just work on the jury farm. You're helping your buddies out, which is cool. Certainly, certainly. We, uh, Wade and I both look at farms in the off-season on our own time and help people out and do what we can. Now, do you hunt mostly on the jury farms, or do you hunt elsewhere as well? 
mostly on the Drury Farms for sure. Uh, we we get to kill deer and turkeys. I don't think I'd do it if I couldn't. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. hunting's a big a big part of it. But uh, yeah, I've got a a home farm, my dad's farm there in northern Missouri as well. I've I've go home and hunt and. And obviously, I've got farms back home. I I can hunt. I just don't always have the time to go back there. Yeah. So you're working in Iowa and Missouri predominantly, correct? Yes. Okay. And right now, you said that Iowa turkey season is that in play or not in play yet? Uh, we're taking a youth hunter in Missouri this weekend, but I believe Iowa's youth season is this weekend as well. Okay. We start. First season in Iowa is Monday. Okay, so we're right on top of it. And our season in New York it starts May 1st, so I think there's a, a youth season in a few weeks and then their opener. And our turkey population has, has struggled over the past few years uh, for a lot of different reasons, different uh, avian diseases and, and uh, a, lot of, a lot of higher predation factors. There's a lot that goes in it. And then harvest you know, this COVID thing has created more hunting in a lot of these areas. I think last year I was in the woods and I had a youth guy with me or a youth hunter with me. And every time we were getting on a bird, boom, it got shot. Somebody was shooting. And it seemed like every bird we got on, you know, it, it was just, you know, net effect was somebody was shooting. And I just said, oh, my goodness, we, we couldn't cut them off. So, you know, more power yeah. to you taking the kids out and getting them them birds. I know I know you've had some success already. So that's that's great. Yep. Guys did it for me back when I was that age. Cause my dad wasn't a hunter surprisingly. And, uh, those guys are the reason I'm talking to you today for sure. So I, I always like to go back and, and give back to that. So, yeah, great attitude, great approach. So let's get into this whole food plot architecture thing. And let's talk a, a little bit about, you know, you've, you've got, you know, big equipment, you've got farms all over the place that you're working on. You know, you're busy. I mean, what are you doing right now planning planning for food plot season? What What's on your docket? Yeah, Mark and Wade and I, I work with Wade every day, but uh, Mark's our boss. Mark and Wade and I sat down just like we do every year uh, about a month ago and figured out each farm down to each plot per acre and uh, figure out what fertilizer we need for what we're planting uh, what seed we need, what chemical we need, and so that we can uh, get that all ordered. And actually this year we pre, I guess you would say pre-ordered or pre-locked in a, a fertilizer price because I'm sure you've uh, heard it's gone through the roof. So Yeah, two, three times the price it was, you know, a couple years ago or last year. And I think people are, you know, they're probably at the point where, you know, either they're not using fertilizer uh, potentially or, you know, they are, or they're shrinking down their food plots, you know, accordingly. So, you know, I totally understand that. So people that are dealing with that issue, you know, there's, you know, there's options for you. You know, my food plots, the way my layouts are, my systems, I don't use any fertilizer on any of my food plots. But again, a lot of people are used to using fertilizer. And, and if you have you know, a micro or macronutrient deficiency, you got to do something about it. So staying on top of those food plots and having a plan is, is really, really critical. So you've got all these layouts set up. I'm kind of interested. Does Mark give you, you know, does he let you roll with it or does he, does he have the final say on the, on the layout? Um, he, he certainly has the final say they're, they're his farms, but he's very good at, me and Wade and Mark, we all go to the farm together and, and 
he takes all opinions. You know, the more brains you have looking at something, the better it's going to be. That's, that's just anywhere on anything. So he, uh, he values our opinions very, very well. And, uh, I mean, there's, there's changes that Wade and I have both suggested on certain farms and certain layouts that he's going like, yeah, that's, I think that's a great idea and we're going to do it that way. So, I mean, he certainly has a final say he, he owns the farms, but, uh, but we all, we all put our brains together and, and come up with the best, uh, layout to, to harvest a deer. Well, let's go through your steps and let's figure out, you know, you know, what does Perry do in his process? You know, you're, you, you, you've ordered your fertilizer, you know, you've got your seed set, you know, your layout, but what's the, what are the basic steps that you go through to kind of start to kind of get into the layout mode, but more so, you know, figuring out your sizes, dimensions. So what do you do? Go through your process. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing I can say is when we plant our grain fields, corn and beans, when I say grain, if later on we're going to plant a green field, let's say in front of the blind to accomplish a bow range shot, we go ahead and plant beans or corn in that spot mainly beans not corn we leave the corn uh, mapped out but we plant beans in that spot to give the deer food all summer because you don't normally plant your fall pots till you know that early august time so we we map those all out and we'll stake them or flag them so that we uh figure out our our acreage and then uh then once we've got all the corn and beans planted we will move in you know, that early August time, like I just mentioned into our, our fall green fields. So you and I were talking earlier and you were trying to, you know, kind of explaining some of the setups and the layouts of those. And I I think you, you guys focus on all season food. Is that true? Yes, for sure. All season nutrition. You want your deer attracted all year long. What do you think that does for you from the standpoint of, you know, creating this, this deer suck. Do you, th- do you think it steals deer or keeps deer more resident on the properties that you guys own? Yes, for sure. We, uh, we house a lot of deer. A lot of deer live on our farms because we give them everything they need. You know, like today you were doing some TSI, some hinge cutting. I saw in your story, you know, that whatever farm you're on, you're creating a bedroom. So once you create the bedroom and then they have all the food they need, and uh, and a decent water source somewhere close. Why, why leave? You know. Yeah. So, you know. That being said, you talk about all season plots, and that's something we we want to be able to hunt every food plot we we have, if it's possible, all year long. Because you never know when a new shooter is going to show up there. And so, if he shows up for say, you know, a green, let's say green revisited we want to be able to go kill him because we have green and how we do that is let's call it a three acre bean field, you know, and you say, okay, you got a, a sea of beans out there. How do you get that deer within bow range when you're hunting early season? Well, our favorite thing to do is a football field size, call it one acre, maybe a little over that within you know, football field 50 yards wide by 100 yards, and you're blind in the in the center of it. You know, you've got 50 yards to your left, 50 yards straight out, and 50 yards to the right. So that accomplishes your early season bow hunting shot 50 yards and under. And then as you progress, 
you have the rest of that field as beans progressing into the gun seasons and late muzzleloader and, you know, late winter, you, you have everything the deer wants. Do you, you know, include a lot of guys top dress their beans, uh, you know, as they start to yellow, they may add in like a winter rye or clover or, you know, red clover. They're doing something. Do you do anything in your, in your setups that it's kind of interesting? Since I've worked here, we have not, but we're in Iowa <laughs> in the Midwest. I honestly, we, we grew some beans. I'm six foot two. We grew some beans this year that were up past my waistline. Wow. So even if you did top dress, they, they just wouldn't grow. You know what I mean? There was too much there. So since I've worked here, no, we haven't. I've, um, but Ter- Terry's land manager, Forrest, who's also on our team, he has, he has, their beans didn't get quite as tall and, and they had some open areas in them and he top dressed. I don't know exactly what he top dressed, but I know that it came on very well. Are your beans a forage bean in combination with a grain bean? Is it a, is it a combination or is it just strictly a grain bean? It's strictly a grain bean. Okay. So boy, your soils must be stellar. That's incredible. And and that's a good bit of advice for somebody who who's experiencing really good soils and, and has that type of growth, of course. I mean, beans are killer. I mean, corn is king around, you know, my area late season. I mean, I, I recommend, you know, depending on the size of the food plots, you know, corn could be a great screening, at least, you know, on the opposing side. You know, it could be good for destination food plots. And beans just happen to just, they just have a lot of protein, you know, a lot of energy availability in that particular plant. And they're just killer. They're good you know, all the way through those summer months, early season, and then that late season draw is just incredible. So, you know, good good examples and, and descriptions there. Let's get into some layouts, some specific layouts on, on the farms and things that are work really well for you. So the architecting of these food plots, you know, you hear people talking about bean-shaped food plots or, you know, football field-sized food plots. What do, what do your kind of your layouts look like physically? Certainly an L shape or a horseshoe shape is our favorite because wherever that horseshoe bends or that L makes its corner there, there's a pinch point there, or we try to create a pinch point if there's not one. And, and so doing that, you know, say you have a horseshoe shape, two acres food plot, you know, down close to your tree stand or your blind, whatever you're hunting out of, you would plant your acre of radishes or whatever green desired food source you want your deer to be in bow range of when you're hunting men. And then those, those legs of that horseshoe, you would plant something late season type, you know, call it on our green fields. If we do a split product where radishes close to the tree stand are blind and we're winter bulbs and sugar beets on those legs. So you would have, if it was a two acre horseshoe, you would have an acre in front of the blind for your bow shot. And then a half acre on each leg would, would lead you an acre of uh, late season food. So, you know, you go through the whole season and you hunt your radishes up until around that Thanksgiving mark. And then you hunt those winter bulbs and sugar beets on the, on those later dates, you know, into the late season. When are you planning, Barry, the, the sugar beets and the winter bulbs? When, when are you, when are you planning that? What time of year are you planting those? Those all go in here in Iowa that first week of August. Yep. Okay. I mean, time of rain, you know, in that time, you know, we're always fighting the drought about that time of year. We're always, you know, if if we look at the forecast and the rain's coming tomorrow, 
Wade and I are going to be running till every plot is in to catch that one rain we need. Yeah, all night. I'm sure that's uh, that's definitely trying. I'm sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> so the the radish part of the the food plot that you've kind of laid out. You know what what variety of radishes are you using, or what um, what brand are you using in, in that location? No, we're we are connected well with mossy oak. So those are mossy oak biologic deer radishes. They have their own strain that they use, and for all the radishes we've tried, those are certainly the best attractability and palatability for the deer. Yeah. I mean, they come green revisited around Thanksgiving when the deer, you know, you kind of get some warm temps in that, that time range, the deer might be hammering grain or green fields really good. We've got some green fields that are eaten to literally dirt. They've ate every radish out of the field. And nothing else in there, just that particular planting, correct? Yep, strictly rat. If we plant a radish field, it's strictly radishes. Okay, that's good to know. Let's talk a little bit about access some of these these areas. And I know you a lot of times you're hunting out of box blinds because there's a camera crew. I, I don't know how else people do that otherwise, but you know, individual guys obviously make it happen. Or you know, sometimes there's multiple you know hang on stand setups. So let's assume you're going into your sets and. You know, you're trying to orchestrate or locate or co-locate your your box blind or tree stand in some location. So in your radish setup, that example, uh, because it's a bow range shot, you know, within, you know, 50 yards, hopefully. How do you, like, lay it out? I mean, in some instances, you know, you might have a draw or a gully, uh, an access point that's good for you. You join the, the layout of the food plot around the tree stand, or how does that kind of work in your in your setup? Yeah, I mean, I would say that every food plot, is designed solely on really access. You know, we don't, we're not going to plant a field if we can't get to that with the deer not seeing us. You know, if, if it hinders the deer, if we're blowing deer out to get to a spot, we're changing something to make us a screen, a row of cedars or planting a screen to get there, or we're not planting it. You know, because access on our end is everything. Because a lot of these farms we have and a lot of these food plots that we're hunting, the deer are bedded close. So if your access is not good, then your hunting is not going to be good. Let's get into one of your farms and let's explain the, the actual farm, size of the farm and the layout and how this food plot, you know, this food plot, you know, infrastructure or architecture works for you in that hunt and things that you've done to critique it. Cause you, you've got some examples I'm sure where you've had to do a little bit extra or a lot of extra. And I know you're doing the work, you're clearing out the areas, you're setting it up, kind of go through your process and give, give us an example of something you've worked on recently. Yeah, we, we picked up a 120 acre piece here last year uh, in Iowa and it's a big overgrown cedar CRP field that's overgrown with cedars and grass. And it's, it's really a nasty farm, but it's a really good deer farm. So that being said, in the back, there's a, a nice ridge that was kind of naturally in an L shape on the, on the map. And so we went in and wherever we wanted the plot, we pushed out all the cedars in that. Um, I think it's about two and a quarter acres. And instead of just pushing those cedars off to the side, straight across from where we thought we were going to put our blind uh, would be the north end of this field. So on the south and straight across from the blind, there was kind of a natural gully, but it was open. The deer could walk through it. 
So we took all those cedars that we, we pushed out of the, the area for the food plot and we stacked them in a line so that they, we created a pinch point. So the deer now have to walk up and around to be in our food plot. And, and that puts them in bow range for us. Nice layout. That's probably a killer spot. What would you say the deer's general bedding areas, or at least the layouts that you have, are in relationship to your your box blind setups? How, how close in that example? On that field, I would say the deer are bedded two to three hundred yards within the plot. You know, they're they're relatively close. Some could be much closer. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm sure that's always the problem. Some deer, sometimes the deer are not where you want them to be. Sure. Do you have kind of in your mind when you're doing your layouts and you've set these food plots up, and do you have kind of like a positioning or distance you try to keep, you know, yourself aware of at least for where the bedding is in relationship to your to your blind setups? Use do you have a rule of thumb that you kind of stick to a lot of times? For sure. I mean. Even I, I cut a lot of TSI and, and hinges on our farms to create bedding. And uh, I'm always trying to cut at least 150 yards off the plot. Okay. That gives us enough room to, you know, drive up, get out of the truck. You know, we, we're a ways away, but still the noise, you know, even the county roads where we park at and then walk in you know, all that, and then another 150 off the plot. So I, I really like that distance and, and farther is okay. If you've got the ground to work with or, you know, the terrain allows you to be. Yeah. And I work with a lot of like topography, steep drops today. I was on a property and elevation change was anywhere between, I want to say a couple hundred feet you know, down to 50 feet. And those, those drops could be, this slope could be pretty severe. Like you could almost have in some areas, it's, it's not a hundred percent grade, but it's pretty darn close to hundred percent grade in some areas. And I was going in and I was actually chiseling out with a shovel bedding areas. And uh, it sounds crazy, but I was keeping the relative distance to where these folks were hunting these deer in mind when I was doing that layout. So I, I just asked that question because I think it's important and it's different and flat ground, maybe you can layer a little bit easier than you can on hilly ground. And it's always difficult to find the, the perfect balance between all this. And like we said, these deer, they roam anywhere. So it's, you know, it's never going to be always perfect. You know, that's. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> do you, uh, up there, do you focus on, on our TSI bedding area, hinge cutting areas here? I focus a lot on South facing slopes because obviously that's where the sun hits and the deer want to stay warm in the winter. Do you focus up there on that too or is it wherever you have the real estate so it depends i mean it's it's going to be all grade based um so you know that'll that'll dictate my location first so if it's steep grade i'm i'm trying to get them where i can get them if there's a lot of undulation but it's slow rolling i'm usually going to do south facing and west facing for food sources but i'm actually going to use east facing or north facing sometimes for tsi areas and then off that i'll do heavy cuts on south-facing slopes and west-facing slopes. And then, you know, we can't burn here in New York State. In a lot of states in my area, culturally, it's not acceptable. By law, it's not acceptable. There's burn bans right now, which, by the way, it's like the next couple of days are going to be like killer burn days. Not saying go burn in New York, but, you know, if you're out there, it might be a good idea. <laughs> uh, but, you know, some of those things where I'm thinking about how they maintain them, I'm actually mapping roads and trails through there so they can work everything off tractors and you know, a lot of my clients are in their 50s. They don't want to necessarily 
you know, run a buzzsaw or run a chainsaw. You know, it's just you're trying to think about how these folks are going to maintain things. So I usually and sometimes like today I was working on this it looked like kind of like a bell-shaped kind of bedding area. It was kind of interesting. You know, the deer could bed on either side. I did a hub in the center. We're going to do a food plot right in the center of that bedding area. And, you know, I just did a podcast on this the other day of, you know, how frequent deer are moving in the landscape and, you know, how you got to keep their attention in some of these bedding areas. And I employ food right in the bedding area. So we'll do a, you know, a planted food plot. I would do, um, you know, kind of a woody browse kind of on the north side or an east side. And then we'll do just kind of a natural browse plot area, which will be a little more herbaceous, which would maybe be on a south or west facing slope. So I'm thinking about that all in my layouts when I'm coming up with these designs. I think my clients think I'm nuts, but I'm giving them a lot of options. And if you've got a small piece of ground, you got to do something, you know? Yeah, for sure. Focus on giving them options and giving the deer more, you know, more things that they can just, you know, reside and focus on. So they're not like, you know, they're going to loaf a little bit more. They're going to bet a little bit more. You know, they're going to meander a little bit more and just giving them just more options. And that's, that's kind of what I'm doing a lot on these client properties. I got questions for you. So let's get back to you. Um, (laughs) You know, you talked a little bit about the, the two options. So kind of the L style and the horseshoe style. I worked on a client's property not too long ago. Actually just met with him the other day. We're doing some work again. And we did carousel plots, um, which seems kind of odd. A deer kind of runs in a circle. But, you know, I think the layout that you're kind of talking about, this horseshoe style, is really interesting. And, you know, how has that worked out? Because it's, a, you know, it's, it's, it's a longer yet, like, more uh, gradual change, right? Uh, it's not that straight, like, hard elbow that you get when you have an L plot. What do you think of those, and how do you lay those out in the landscape? You mean as far as, like, have we had success with these? Yeah, like, why, why have you chosen that style of shape, and how does that work? I mean, is it is it conditioned based on the land setup where you want, you maybe have longer linear setup, and, you know, it, it kind of, uh, the bedding adjacent to that allows for kind of that shaping? Not, okay, yeah. yep. Yeah, I mean, we always go, you know, look at the map, then then put the boots on the ground and, and look at what is uh, what's there. A key thing I always look at is if you're looking at an ag field and there's, let's say, timber to the north, okay, there's a big waterway that comes out in this ag field. So that is a natural area that the deer typically walk around and then you go look at it and you're like, yeah, the trail comes out here, goes around this natural waterway in this big ag field. And they're, they're that lazy that they walk around this, this water drainage ditch and then go back into the timber, you know? And so you're like, well, this is already a natural spot that they're using. Why wouldn't we use this as a pinch point in our food plot? And another thing that is a really good killer spot, uh, thing that work as has worked for us and continues to work is natural fence gaps. I mean, if we have a farm that's got a fence gap, you almost guarantee that there's a food plot set up to integrate that fence gap to pinch the deer down to be within bow range. Yeah, you can't you can't criticize that. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. At least gets them in and out of those areas pretty clearly, so you know where they're coming and going, and it's probably good data collection point, et cetera. I, oh, yeah. I like the idea where you have kind of like a waterway and, you know, they have to go around that waterway and you're letting, you know, succession happen maybe adjacent to that waterway and that cover kind of just, 
you know, eventually is created and you're kind of using that as a, as maybe kind of an orchestration to create this food source. And then you're hunting, obviously the opposing side of that. I think that could be very, a good setup for a lot of people. So you're thinking about your, your food plot setup that that might be advantageous for you. Even in big, I've noticed in big agriculture fields, like you might have a 80 acre agriculture field and maybe that you have permission to hunt the field, but you don't have permission to hunt all the cover. You know, somebody else owns the cover. Well, you, you think, okay, how am I going to get these deer in front of me? Well, they walk out of the cover to come eat, and they naturally go around this big water ditch or water grass waterway and continue to feed out into the field. You know, it, and it's just little things that, like that that you overlook until you see it for yourself, you know. Yeah, yeah, and set up on and take advantage of it. and Correct. Yeah, I mean, and the neighbor's not going to be able to likely take advantage of that. So that's, yeah, that's a good option for somebody who has that set up, you know, may, may just have a field. They're working with a the field. They're maybe doing a field conversion and you're trying to pull deer, and this is a way to do that. I, I think I want to go, I want to go in a, a slightly different direction. So we've got two really kind of good layouts. I want to talk about destination food sources because I know that spoke a lot about, and it's, it's hard for a lot of people to recognize, you know, what do I plant in those locations? How are they designed? A lot of people don't have the real estate. They don't have enough space to really do a destination food, food source. And we're trying to get deer to kind of go to those areas. And they may be destinations that, that are after hours where the deer end up, you know, going to those locations so you can get in and out of your tree stands, or maybe they're a destination that you're hunting over. Can you explain, you know, maybe a layout on a jewelry farm and, and something that you're doing that, that would be relatable and, and maybe kind of maybe a, a tip and trick in that equation that, that works well for your setups? Yeah, for sure. I mean, a major spot I can think of is, is where we do have the real estate and we're, we're blessed to have it. We have a eight acre bean field we plant every year. And there's a hard corner about in the center of it, just on the south side of it. And then kind of paralleling us and going behind us to the south, running north and south, is nine acres tillable of corn that we do. So you've got a huge tillable cornfield and a big bean field in front of you. And you're, you're facing north, northwest, looking at the beans. And then if you look out the side of the blind would be the, be the cornfield. But anyways, you think, okay, you got this sea of grain out there. How are you going to get this deer within bow range if you want to bow hunt there, which we do quite often? We take a tiller and until two tiller passes, a path to the northwest, straight north, and northeast, and they all meet right in front of that blind. And we plant a green food source in those strips. So can you explain that food source, that green food source, different from the grain food source? And Yeah, we plant, in our strips, we plant biologic wintergrass, which is a whole mix. Uh, I'd have to look at the label to tell you exactly what's in it. But you could plant wheat, clover, I mean, any any green food source that's going to stay green beyond the beans changing. It's, it's really a buffet. They can walk out there early season and eat on green beans and then destination towards you right into the cornfield. Or middle of the season when the beans are yellow and defoliating, they can walk out, eat on the green strip, and destination right past you into the cornfield. And then, then you move into your gun seasons and you have all the grain in the world you could want to hunt 
and as well as a green food source if they're still wanting to eat that. Sounds absolutely killer. Um, what a what a nice <laughs> set, what a nice setup that is. And thinking about like those that have that kind of big space that they're working with, you know, how to get deer to come to a location that you could actually even bow hunt them. I, I think it's mind boggling when you have these you know, ginormous fields, either doing a conversion or you're planting a lot of food, the deer could, you know, they could be anywhere. And how do you get them coming close? And that's a great, that's a great trick that works, right? I mean, that just, and it's just, oh, it works. it's just the difference. There's a different option for them. And they like, they like that variability of, of food options. You know, that's, that's huge. Yeah. And it, and even bouncing back to what we talked about earlier is a natural waterway in a giant field of nothing but tillable. And it, maybe that's, the only permission spot you got to hunt and you, you ask the farmer, Hey, can I pay to, you leave two acres of beans out here and you're thinking, okay, but I want to bow hunt this too. Well, the farmer's leaving me two acres of beans so I can make walking strips in this two acres that lead right in front of me, right in that waterway that's pinching the deer down. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's not, it doesn't always have to be, you have the real estate, you know, it could be a, a small ag field that maybe you're, you're getting some grain left and, and design it to, to benefit yourself all season. So Perry, you know, with the prices of fertilizer and seed and everything that's going on in the economy today, we've, we're talking maybe some more expensive options, you know, corn's quite expensive. Beans is, you know, perceivably expensive. You know, what would you recommend, you know, we're, we're coming up to planning season for a lot of people. What would you recommend that, you know, people are doing on the cheap? Give them a cheap option, you know, that might be well, you know, design your food plot, but then, you know, think about maybe some other options, you know, planning-wise that may not be so expensive. Clover, 100%. Okay. I mean, I, I can't stress it enough. And, and we've, we're changing some fields this year just because we don't, you know, we don't want to spend the money on them. We're going to, we're going to seed them down with clover and, and keep them established and maintain them. And as long as you don't have snow co- covering your clover, the attractability to the deer is, is, I mean, it's, it's real, it's good. And, and I've seen it outperform grain fields and other green fields if the conditions are right. And it's, it's all about what the deer wants to eat. And, and as well as, you know, alfalfa's come a long way. They're, they're, designing roundup ready alfalfa which you pay a little bit up front you know for that bag of seed but that's also another easy to maintain and uh plot that is very attractable as well yeah i have a client that's crazy about alfalfa and i can't talk them off anything else but alfalfa so (laughs) you know it's it's that's good to bring bring that up does he does he see a lot of deer on it Big time. I mean, he he yeah. won't plant anything but alfalfa, and uh, I mean, I I can't blame him if he feels like that's you know that's the the best option in town. You know, more power to him. Interesting, and and thanks for ending with kind of those additional thoughts because I think that's good to kind of give people options. So I'm gonna I'm gonna lead into the end of this, and I'm gonna say you know one recommendation is get out there, get your soil samples now, send them to the lab, start planning. You know, get your you know get your information. Understand your deficiencies of your soil before you move forward, and know you know what lacks in the soil. Palatability is a big thing that you don't hear a lot about because it's not a focus of a lot of people. And really, if you're planting a food plot and it doesn't have all the micro and macronutrients it needs, those particular plants that are on that field will not be browsed as heavy as you think. I've got test plots that I'm 
playing with different amendments that are natural amendments. And I can tell you for sure that the deer go to those areas that have been amended and a lot more so than the areas that have not. So keep that in mind. And there's a lot of options. There's natural amendments that you can use. There's synthetic fertilizers. You know, get with your local ag places and start paying attention to those things because that will be a game changer. Your food plot can be much better than your neighbors or your cohort. You guys are working together with a bunch of people. You know, have a plan and and talk about, you know, ways that you can do things cheaper and think about, you know, what the deer want. Time of season, you know, these examples that Perry brought up with destination, the green, the grain, everything he's laying out, you know, they're very successful in the jury farms and, you know, the rest of you can be as well. So Perry, anything you want to end in and from your front, anything that you got going on that that's particularly interesting? Get out there and kill some turkeys is all I can say and have fun <laughs> being outside. <laughs> no, way to end it. Wait a minute. And good luck you season. Um, I'm looking forward to talking to you again. This is a great chat. I'm happy to have you on this podcast and we got more to come with you and me. I appreciate the reach out. Yeah, stay in touch, and we'll uh, we'll figure out something else to talk about. All right. Talk to you soon, Perry. Have a good day. Yep, you too. All right. Bye. Bye. Maximize Your Hunt is a production of Whitetail Landscapes. For more information on how John Teeter and his team of experts can help you maximize your hunt, check out whitetaillandscapes.com.